Podcast with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Bietti. So, David, now we know the truth about you. I mean, all this uh. time we <laughs> never had an inkling of the fact that you are provincial. There you go. I I, I really want to apologize to the Paracast audience for having the equivalent of an off-screen meltdown when that Hollywood sleaze referred to me as provincial. And make no mistake, okay, this guy is a typical, prototypical, really, Hollywood sleazeball, a lizard. Now, why is it that his voice is slightly reminiscent of Larry David? (laughs) Is that because of the New York... I guess so. show that, business producer uh, emulate that kind of shall we say veneer well for anybody to tell me that Murdoch is anything but a businessman is not that I wasn't being provincial I was being informed uh, what I wasn't doing is seeing how far I could stick my tongue at Rupert Murdoch's ass which is what Kiviet was doing basically this guy is covering his bases this guy wants to do business with Murdoch, which is why he was paying homage to him. But I, all that aside, I want to apologize to the Paracast audience and to you, Gene, for just melting down and not only pulling away from the episode. Uh, astute listeners will realize I, I ended up shutting down for a good long time during the episode. But then coming back and bashing uh, Kiviet over the head re- repeatedly with the provincial thing. I'll tell you, man. I've, I've traveled around the world. I grew up overseas. I speak two languages, read and write a completely foreign language, Hebrew, that looks nothing like anything that normal humans are, are used to. I read foreign news sources. Anybody who listens to Angry Human, my other show, knows that I pride myself on being a global citizen. And I'm proud of the fact that the Paracast is a show that has achieved the status of being a global program with fans all over the world. So when that douche referred to me as provincial, I, I saw red, Gene. I just, my field division went red, and I'm not proud of my behavior the rest of the show. So I just wanted to qualify that for our audience, and I wanted to apologize and, uh, I want to apologize to Don Ecker as well, because Don, who's a great friend of the show, responded to my request to do a moon special, thought that, you know, this Hollywood sleaze would would, would add something. Uh, and Don, I'll just say this to you on air. Make sure you get all your paperwork straight with this guy, because it seems to me like this is the kind of guy who you got to watch your back with. Not just the back, the yeah. sides, the front, <laughs> the top. The bottom, watch yeah. everything, watch every deal, be very careful, because this yeah. guy is strictly there. He's strictly there to sell a show. Absolutely. I don't really think that he cares whether there are moon artifacts or not. No. Just as much as I don't think we really cared so much whether the alien autopsy was real or not, his interest is to sell a show. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It depends on how you handle it. You know, I have no problem with commercial interest in TV. We respect the right of people to make a buck. Okay? It's how you do it, how you come across that I worry about. Yeah. And the fact that Kiviot made good cash off that Roswell alien autopsy nonsense. He made real good money off of that. So it's kind of interesting how now he's sort of 
will shoot down Santilli and everything. At the time it was going on, Kvyat had no problem basically saying whatever he had to say uh, to get that thing on the air. He had no problem, and he wasn't doing it to disseminate some amount of truth to people. He was doing it for the almighty buck gene. And that's, I think, anybody who listens to the guy, anybody who hears the guy, can clearly hear that in his voice and the way he speaks and what he says. Uh, yeah, he's like Murdoch. He's a businessman. I mean, if Kvyat thinks he's a newsman, then he, yeah, he should look at himself very closely in the mirror because he's not. Yes, you know, we understand, in a sense, he was telling us some truths here. We understand that, okay, Tiger Woods sells now, sells copy. And the most important story in the world right now is Tiger Woods, not because it concerns global warming, it concerns the state it's of health care no, in America. No, by the time else, this episode airs, it's, it's basically tabloid journalism. People like that stuff. Yeah, but to, to confuse tabloid journalism with with actual news is to be not provincial, but stupid as a rock. There, it's not provin- That's not provincialism. That's just sheer stupidity. So by him basically trying to equate tabloid journalism with news, he was showing. Well, the level that he's at. Lizards uh, live in the pond. <laughs> there, I've made my feelings known to the Paracast audience. Towards well, that's the end a change. That's a change. We've never had you do that before. Look, let's just set that aside. I think so, yeah. the episode itself speaks for who and what he is and what this is all about. At the right. same time as... You pointed out during your participation later in the show, there is some genuine nugget of actual research, photographic evidence showing something strange is on the moon. And that's something we can get to in the future. In the meantime, you brought us some fascinating guests today. Tell us about it. Well, we have an interesting, uh, this is a bit of a a departure for the Paracast, in a sense. Uh, We have the return of our friend Bud Hopkins, a man who I've grown to like quite a bit. Uh, both on a professional and personal level. One of the times that Bud was on here, he talked to us about a fellow who uh, presented one of the most terrifying abduction cases that he had ever covered in his many years of research work. And to make a very long story very short, that person who he was referring to, who will be known today by the name Doug, Doug is not comfortable revealing the rest of his identity. I know who he is. Uh, you have his full name. Bud had worked with him extensively. Bud knows who, exactly who he is. You know, we can vouch for the fact that this guy's a real guy. He decided to come on today and talk with us about the experiences that he had with his brother, uh, their spouses. This was something that um, was not a one-time deal. Doug has had some incredibly intense experiences. Um And Bud expressed an interest in coming on the show to help us sort of uh, uh, walk Doug through a bunch of these descriptions and to be here to to hopefully mitigate any extreme stress that Doug goes through in in talking about this. I've spent quite a bit of time talking to Doug uh, uh, one-on-one via Skype. Uh, I've grown to like him quite a bit. I consider him a friend now. Uh, He's a profoundly decent man from what I have gathered speaking to him uh, for more than a few hours. (laughs) And something we don't often do on this show, and we should do more of, and I think in 2010 we will do more of, Gene, is to cut to the chase and bring people on 
who are experiencers. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, we can talk academics around these issues all we want. We can speak to personalities. But ultimately, this is a very subjective situation. And what's happening here is happening to people. And bringing those people on and speaking with them about what they went through might not help us gain any deeper understanding of what's going on. But if nothing else, uh, I think Doug will feel better. Uh, I know that Doug and I have had these conversations where we've talked to each other about a number of topics uh, in in this sandbox and some other personal stuff where he and I both feel like we've come away from our conversations mutually feeling better about stuff. Uh, so this is a man I, I, I've grown to really like, but has graciously agreed to come on and uh, and join us in a conversation with Doug. Doug, who has experienced some in- very frightening things and who has been very hesitant to, to come on the show and talk about them. But in basically uh, having a number of discussions with him and in Bud speaking with him, he decided that the Paracast was the one place he felt he could come and talk about this uh, in a safe way. And so that's what we're going to do today. It's a different kind of a Paracast episode, one that I hope our audience will appreciate. Okay, an exclusive interview with Doug. Joined by Bud Hopkins, coming up next on The Paracast. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Hi, this is Michelle from Namecheat. We don't have millions of dollars to get race car drivers or models to endorse us, but we will do everything we can to make those who buy domains or web hosting from us as happy as possible. We offer a free SSL as well as free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers or troublemakers. We won't bug you with obnoxious upsells when you check out or in your inbox. But most importantly, our customer service team really cares about you. It's what we pride ourselves in the most because it's your endorsement that means the most to us. If you like what you hear, get deals on both our domains and our web hosting at radio.namecheap.com, radio.namecheap.com, and be sure to play our contest by following us on Twitter. Thanks, Michelle. And by the way, listeners, please use the coupon code Radio Day. That's Radio Day, one word, for special discounts at Namecheap. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. You hear it on TV. You hear it on radio. Cash for gold. Yes, it's an enticing phrase during these challenging days. But the real question is, how much cash are you going to get for your gold and silver? Are you going to get the best value? Well, you can get the best price from a company whose owners have decades of experience in the business. Welcome to Goldbug. The folks at Goldbug warn you that many of those high-budget gold buyers are paying far less than you deserve for your gold and silver. Goldbug will give you top dollar each and every time. To learn more, call 1-866-596-6134. That number again, 1-866-596-6134 for Goldbug. Or visit us online at goldbug.com. That's Goldbug with two Gs. 
goldbug.com. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Today we're going to be talking with uh, our old friend Bud Hopkins and a case that Bud uh, had brought up on the show previously, Doug. So, uh, uh, Bud, why don't you start by setting the stage for us? Okay, well, the uh, this situation began uh, with when I received a letter in uh, late uh, 99, actually, uh, from a man who was describing with the usual kind of ambivalence his memories of a particular experience when he was driving on a highway uh, from Las Vegas. And... Um, it was a, uh, describing very, very interesting details, but again, with that that tone of, I may be wasting your time, or I may be crazy, or I don't know whether there's anything to this, and, and so forth. I mean, everyone tends to back away when they write these letters. That was one of the ironies that when we hear uh, people introducing someone on a program and say so-and-so claims to be a, a UFO abductee, people don't really claim that. They're... They're writing and saying, I don't know what happened, I don't understand this, maybe something like that happened. But uh, this particular letter was a, a very eloquent one, and it was filled with details about a, um, a drive. Um, and I think it's, it's probably best right now to, to introduce Doug, and he can tell us a little bit more about why he wrote the letter and, and what he was writing it about. Okay. Well, for years, uh, decades, off and on, I, you know, this thing would come up and bother me and other circumstances. And I'd write these letters, but never mailed them or emailed them. And it, it, I finally just had enough. I, you know, the anxiety, the fear, I just had to deal with this. So I actually sent it to Bud. What happened is the four of us, my brother, his wife, and my former wife, we saw a UFO on the drive from Las Vegas early morning on the way to Palm Springs uh, on holidays. We flew down to, to L.A. to start uh, a huge craft. We slid off well, Doug, the Doug, let's, let's step back for a minute. What year sure. are we talking about here? We're talking about 1980. Okay. And it was a huge craft. I mean, uh, her wives were in the back seats screaming, and it was like a horror movie. I mean, it's all, we all remember this. I mean, we talked about it afterwards. The wives were crying the rest of the evening. And, you know, it, it, some of the memories, you know, uh, I think it's what Bud calls bookend memories. You remember the beginning of it? You know, I remember jumping out of the car with my brother, hiding behind it, popping her heads up. The wives locked us out of the car. They're screaming and crying to get out of there. It was like a, a horror movie. And uh, All right. Again, let's step back for a moment. Sure. Where were you? What time of day it was? Let's, again, assume nobody has ever heard the story before. Sure. Well, I was kind of pissed off. My brother woke us up in the hotel at like 3.30 in the morning, you know, after gambling uh, all afternoon, uh, and said, let's go. We can be in Palm Springs by lunchtime. We can sights have lunch and sightsee. So this is early morning. If I had to guess, after we had breakfast at Denny's, three or four hours later, it's got to be 9 o'clock in the morning. So it was daylight. Oh, broad daylight. Yeah, beautiful day, clear, bright, hot. One of the reasons he wanted to leave so early, 
even though we had this nice, expensive rental cars, we heard rumor, you know, stuff that people are driving across the desert, the car would overheat and you have all these problems. So if you leave early, it's cooler and uh, we can get there in time and still see Palm Springs that day. And all right. So it had to be maybe nine o'clock in the morning, eight thirty, somewhere around there. You know, when my brother first screamed out and pointing out the window, "What the hell is that?" As we, you know, were zipping across the desert. And, and, and my uh, correct, uh, Doug, that you're taking a kind of shortcut that had been recommended to you to get to. Uh, oh Palm yeah, my, my brother. You're on a small the, road. Yeah, my brother is very gregarious and talks to everybody. So he ended up talking to some trucker in Denny's that drew him out a map of why go all, you know, I guess I'm a Canadian, so I don't know all the highways there. But I guess you go back uh, on the major freeways back towards L.A. and then down is uh, the big freeways. He had these cross-country roads uh, that he said it'd save us an hour or so, uh, cutting straight across the desert and join this road and that road. So, you know, we hadn't seen cars or anything for you know, like an hour. I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere uh, when this happened, and uh, it was gigantic. I don't know whether this is at the end of it or at the beginning, but to give you the description of how big it is, and I really didn't tell many people about this because it's unbelievable, I grabbed my camera case from the car. I had to scream and bang on the window to get them to open the door. I had an old uh, uh, Canon manual, 35 millimeter. Uh, camera with some lenses that I had bought for a trip to Europe a few years before. You know, no expert, no nothing. Learned a few things uh, on a one-day uh, course before I went to Europe. And I had to change the lens from a 50 millimeter to a wide angle. I barely got the craft in. It was so close and so big, just hovering maybe two stories off the uh, desert. Now, let's let's step back for a moment again, Doug, and let's yeah. let's talk about how you get from you're driving down the road, your brother sees this and starts yelling, what is that? So at what distance from the car was the craft when he first saw it? Since this last seven or eight months of finally dealing with all this myself personally, you know, it's kind of hard to estimate. I saw I write up on the Paracast about it's hard for people to judge distance. I think right. it was by Schuler or something. So I actually went left my condo and walked across the street <laughs> and paced off how far it would be. I would guesstimate maybe 75 yards. That's pretty close. Oh, it was it was close. close. It was All huge. Right. You could see uh, the shapes in the uh, windows. You know, it was very bright. I mean, this is a desert, so uh, obviously it's darker in there. All it was was shadow type things of, of figures. My brother, I just recently started talking to him again. He tries to avoid it, but I can get him to talk about it off and on. He says, I left the car. I remember leaving the car and to walk towards it to get underneath it. Well, but hold on. No, we got to rewind again because sure, you're driving ahead. in the car and you see this. And so you, you stop the car. That's the whole thing. I, as part of that is from the uh, regression remembering this. We slid off the road sort of thing. I thought in my fragmented memories that uh, Derry was, my brother was driving and he slammed on the brakes and we slid off the road. It turned out in the hypnosis, I remember I was driving, but, uh, you know, we went off the road. I mean, it's in a panic. People are screaming. It's uh, All right. Okay, okay, so basically let's maybe focus on this too. Now, we're dealing here with a remembrance that comes not just from your surface memories, but from regression. At the Most time this happened, mm -hmm. Doug, what did you actually remember then? How much of it did you actually remember? All of that. That's it? 
Well, and, you know, popping their heads back and up, looking at it, screaming at each other. You know, the wives in the back seat with the doors locked, screaming to get out of there, looking at the ship, seeing those figures. I took about, I don't know, half a roll of film. My brother grabbed his camera, took the way he was shaking and jumping around, probably two or three pictures uh, on his camera. Was the ship on the ground at that point, Doug? Hovering about two stories up. Okay. It was directly above you. Directly across from us. If you look across the street at a house, okay. right? You know, and in the houses, uh, four or five houses combined, that size, just hovering off the ground. Okay, well, it was totally a disc, disc-shaped yes. craft. Yeah. You say you saw some sort of windows on this thing. Yeah, there was windows because you know we're you're scared. I mean, you're you're petrified. We're you know uh, you look in and you see these figures in the windows. You know, I'm trying to take pictures of this and trying to calm down. I'm shaking. I'm using the car to to try to keep my hands and arms from shaking. Sorry, I'm getting a little. Uh, <laughs> when you remember all this, you get a little excited. Yeah, it's like a horror movie. You know. Uh, I left the car probably 10 minutes into this. Derry, last week, says, well, you were trying to get closer to take a closer picture using that little uh, thistle bush or whatever it's called that was halfway between us. And I said, no, 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 I was going to go underneath it. But he ran out and grabbed me by the belt, screaming, you know, get back, get back. He finally went out and grabbed me by the belt and tried to drag me back to the car. That's when, you know, it gets fragmented. Don't remember much after that other than the ending. Hey, neighbors. The old way to meet for business is over the phone or in person. The new better way is to meet clients and colleagues online with GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting is like meeting in person, but less time-consuming and less expensive. Start your meeting with just a click. Everyone can see your computer desktop on their computer screen, so they can follow along as you move from page to page. You can use GoToMeeting to host a sales presentation, a product demo, or a training session. Even collaborate on documents by sharing your screens. Our listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. That's a month of unlimited online meetings free. For this special offer, you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts. That's gotomeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Doug. He's a UFO experiencer, and we're basically revealing on the air for the first time very important details about this encounter with himself, his brother, etc. We have Bud Hopkins of the Intruders Foundation here to anchor the event. Let's continue, Doug. Uh, Incidentally, I'd like to uh, interject with one thing uh, having to do with hypnosis. As Doug has said, uh, he thought his brother was driving. That was the conscious memory. But under hypnosis, he realized that he was driving, and he checked with his brother later. I'm not correct about that, Doug. And your brother immediately said, no, no, you were driving. So the hypnosis recall was correct, and the conscious recall wasn't. Is that right? Yeah, well, during the hypnosis, uh, I remember slamming on the brakes. We're sliding off the road, and this electrical sensation, I mean, it was like being plugged into a 220. I mean, it was painful. 
as Bud uh, mentioned in that Paracast, uh, I think it was August 2007. For me, uh, I felt like I was being electrocuted. I came out of the hypnosis. I didn't recover any memory other than that. And this pain, you know, I, I couldn't move. And Bud brought me out of it. And I'm running around his studio, sliding back into this pain and crunching over and just screaming in pain. It took a hell of a long time for me to stop sliding back into that regression. I didn't learn anything else other than that, that I was driving. Well, by the time I got home, I mean, I'm barely controlling my emotions, you know, uh, on the train going out to uh, Connecticut, you know, uh, trying to hold back the tears. I crawled into a fetal position and started to deal with all these other uh, stuff that happened to me my whole life. I mean, other close encounters like this, so you just ignore with witnesses. And just really, I went into a deep, fearful, depressive state. It took me three weeks to finally call my brother because I mentioned I was going to go for hypnosis on this because you know we all remember so much consciously after this and we talked about it. So just to test my the hypnosis, the memory, I made up a story, you know, and I, I started with, I says, oh yeah, and then I, you know, and this is the hypnosis, I got a commentary, I mean, I recalled, I mean, we're lucky to be alive, the way you drove that car, you know, that we, we could have flipped. And he says, oh, no, I wasn't driving. You were. That memory uh, from the hypnosis is true. <laughs> Somehow at the end of it, I was put in the passenger seat because when we came to more conscious memory, the UFO was gone. We got out of the car and there it was up in the sky. Now, if you put your hand out and put your fingers across, it's probably oh, a little over an inch large out uh, over on the other side of the uh, desert sort of like flashing in and out and it kind of wobbles, you know, and we're watching this and then we'd zip across the uh, the valley on the other side. We'd watch it. We watched this for 10 or 15 minutes doing a show, you know, still excited. What the hell, you know, is going on? And then it went right in the middle of the, uh, the valley uh, where there was one little cloud and then boom, this aircraft zips through the cloud and this UFO gone it was gone well we stood around for another 10 minutes looking in the sky nothing happened scared excited you're you're in a shock you know you're you're glass-eyed disoriented shock shaking it's a weird feeling Doug, at, at that point were were your wives still in the car or were they out of the car oh, yeah, they wouldn't get out of the car they wouldn't get out of the car at that point. No, they're watching out the window, but uh, they wouldn't get out of the car. They're still screaming to, to leave. They're upset. They're ag aggravated. They're excited. So we get into the car and zip across the desert, uh, speeding like crazy, all talking and chattering. Uh, what the hell happened? What the hell happened? You know, what that UFO, you know, and they all remember this gigantic UFO. And, you know, the women are still crying. I'm now in the backseat, you know, trying to calm my wife down. And hours seem to go by and we finally see way off in the distance in the dark you know the light of a city way you know that you see way off in the distance and we're just rushing towards uh, this the city which has got to be palm springs finally on the outskirts of palm springs or you know whatever cities are down there i don't know suburbs there was a, a service station that was closed but there was a, a phone booth and Derry went right over the curb. I mean, just squealing to stop. And we go right in next to the, the phone booth and we're talking excited. We got to call somebody. We got to call somebody. We jump out of the car, my brother and I, the women lock, lock us out again. You know, there's love for you. And I mean, <laughs> and the two adults, grown 
individuals, I mean, both, you know, fairly middle management and financial institutions, you know, not insane, but you're feeling insane, squeeze into this telephone booth together, and it's dark, and there's a partial phone book there, and I remember struggling with him, just squeezing him in and squeezing up next to him to get that damn telephone booth door closed, never realizing consciously that the damn thing, the cordons, it, it swings in inwards, which was a bugger. I mean, I'm using my foot trying to close the door. The light finally gets on, zipping through with the phone book, right, you know, right up to, to your chest, trying to find somebody to call. And I think it was an Air Force station that uh, finally ran across. And I called and some receptionist or operator came on the phone and says, yes, what department would you like? And I put my hand over the phone. My brother's face is right up next to mine. We're squeezed in. I put my hand over the phone. I says, we're here on holidays. We can't, they're going to think we're nuts. I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, you know, we're on holidays. And I hung up the phone. And we struggled to fall out of the damn telephone booth, ran back to the car, you know, begging our wives to open up the doors, jump back in, and we speed off. And the first motel, hotel we came to, we all ran in like little children and got a, uh, a great big suite together. We wanted to be together. I mean, you know, and I didn't want a room with my brother and his wife, and but we got this huge suite so we could, you know, and we're checking in and the women are, you know, slowly unpacking and they're still really upset and I'm unpacking my stuff and, you know, you're, you're just scared. You don't know why, you know, what, what the hell? You just shook up. And it hit me. Why did we have to close the telephone booth? It's pitch black when we, before we got into the city. We should have been here for lunch. So I bleeped that out. And oh my God, the women are just crying. And you know, I, I admit it, I'm crying. I mean, you're, you're, you're scared. And we couldn't calm them down. So Derry and I went out to the, the pool in front of her uh, suite. And he ran across the street and got a case of beer. We sat there and talked about it. You know, finally, about three or four hours later, we had to talk to somebody. We called my mom and dad long distance at the middle of the night and woke them up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mom, dad, you never believe what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, bizarre, but we had to. So the next morning, you know, we didn't sleep much. We're heading out to breakfast, and you're still, you know, uh, you just don't feel well. You just feel, oh, you're dead tired, you're you're confused, and everything else. And my brother says, hey, we're driving by a strip mall. He says, there's one of those photo booth things, you know, in the middle of the... Uh, Parking, parking lot. lot. He says, yeah. We can drop off her film. I says, Derry, they'll see it. He's, oh no, no. Every mall now, when you walk into the mall, even in Canada, there's a big picture glass in the mall. You know, at the photo place, and it's a big machine. They just put them through machines. They show it off. You know, the pictures coming out of the machine. They won't even see them. You know. So he convinced me I was dead tired. And uh, so we dropped off her film. He dropped off his one roll. I dropped off my five from, you know, the vacation so far. And it'd be ready at three o'clock. So we went around and tried to sightsee and did some shopping, but we're tired. And, you know, we finally go back at three and they hand me my packages. And there's my brother's package first and then hands him four for me. I jumped out of the passenger seat, ran around and grabbed the five receipts for my film out of the guy in the window and says, you're missing one. And I'm mad, you know, and I'm quickly going through them and all the pictures are there, the other ones, and there's a roll missing. And Derry's wow. going through his. Yeah. Man. Isn't that something? I mean, conspiracy. I hate conspiracy. I can't 
listen to it on the shows and stuff, but this is true. Okay, so have, you gave him the right number of roles, but when it came back... I got four back. Uh, so we, we screamed at this guy, and he got on the phone and everything else. We ended up going back to the mot- uh, motel or hotel it was, and I we had their number of whatever, where it was developed, some big warehouse somewhere, and we're screaming at him on the phone, and they promised uh, that they'll find it, and we'll have it the next morning. Well, we were only going to stay in Palm Springs for a day or two, you know, and keep on going. Uh, you know, this is uh, holidays. and But we stayed. We go there first thing in the morning when they open. No film. I'm screaming at them. We go back. We're calling. We got the head office number finally. We're screaming at them. You know, I'm going to sue them. We're in their holidays. The whole kid and caboodle. Well, it's going to be there that afternoon. This went on for two days. Never got that role. My brothers film, and we're not you know, any type of experts on uh, photography or anything, but there was four totally whited out, you know, clear film that uh, did not match because he checked with a friend of his back in Edmonton, uh, weren't even from the same role, taped onto the role with holes punched through them. What? Yeah, he still has the film. Really? So they basically chopped off the pictures that were four, potentially... Four pictures. They just clear cut them to be Crystal clear. All his other photos are, you know, well, they're not expert, I mean, but they're all clearly uh, good enough for a standard photographer. Yeah, yeah. You know, for a vacation and all the ones after. And there's four that are missing. And somebody in Edmonton, a photographer, told him, well, oh, there's numbers somewhere on there, I guess, on, the, on these things. But that's not even from the same film. And they were scotch-taped to the role of the the negatives. When I got back, you know, months later, I got a letter in the mail from their head office in the States apologizing for that, giving me free developing for the rest of my life. (laughs) Isn't that so exciting? Yeah, and they don't have any offices here in Canada, so whoop-de-doo. And you forget about it. You go on, you get on with your life, and... You, you know, I can never talk. I often on would talk to my brother about it. His wife still won't talk about it. I tried to get her to talk about it last night, uh, telling her I'm doing this show. She's—you can just see the fear. This last seven months, talking to my mother and finding out stuff from the past that you know, when I'm two years old, that I didn't know, just adds to this craziness. But uh, she she asked her one time at in the kitchen Thanksgiving about five years ago. You know, nobody around and says, you know, that stuff that happened to you guys in the desert, what really happened? And she says, it's all true, and don't ever bring it up again. Well, now you just life. opened up another another book of questions here, which is, all right, this may be something that started all this, but it sounds to me like we're going back to childhood. Things are going on. Do you have conscious memory of those things, or was that something also that had to be brought out during hypnosis? No, I've, I've never recovered anything from hypnosis other than that what I call a wireless taser that hit us, that pain. No, the other conscious memories, I mean, I asked my brother a month ago, because he changes the subject, but he throws me little bits of it before he changes the subject. I asked him about the one we saw in in Victoria. Up front, a UFO came in, three of us, his friend from work, I mean, just gigantic UFO that came in, and we lost time. That was, we came to with the radio blaring in the background with the announcer right. screaming. Okay, we need, to, we need to do a setup again. You have okay. to remember that, you know, what, while you're, you're telling these things that you've gone over many times in your head, people in the audience are probably saying, huh, what? Um, yeah, it needs to, be, needs to be a setup for it. But let's rewind more than that for a moment. But I'd like to ask you something. When, yeah. when Doug came to you for hypnosis, 
You took him back into this experience, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So please recount to us what happened. I hope you don't mind, Doug. But, you know, I just no. To, oh, go ahead. Okay. Well, what we started with was, uh, you know, always setting the scene. So we I dealt with originally the trip from um, waking up and, and leaving uh, Las Vegas on this trip. Right. And uh, we couldn't get very far uh, on this road towards um, – Palm Springs, so I went back and started all over again. Uh, sometimes that the second time around, uh, more things pop up. And what happened was uh, all of a sudden, Doug just screamed and sat up on the couch, wide awake, his eyes open, absolutely in terror. And uh, I spent probably the, at least the next half hour uh, trying to calm him down, and he would calm down for, for <laughs> I don't know, a minute or two, and then he would start back shaking, trembling in this fetal position. And uh, I've done a lot of hypnosis with a lot of people, hundreds and hundreds of people, and I've never had uh, as uh, violent uh, an reaction, the term that's used, as, as Doug's. I felt incredibly sorry for him, and I spent the next, um, without asking him anything that happened, because at that point, I, the last thing I wanted to do was to take him back to the experience itself. I felt uh, we can deal with that some other week. But in the meantime, I was trying to get him somewhat grounded, and uh, I spent uh, the next hour or two with him. I don't remember how long. Uh, we went off to have lunch. He had a daughter who was about the same age as my daughter, and uh, I remember I was trying to get because he was extremely uh, fond and connected with his daughter, and I tried to get the conversation back to his his daughter and her safety and she was home and he was going to see her soon and so on just to get anything I could do to get him away from uh, what he'd been through. But this was the really other interesting thing. He had told me originally that he had been seeing a therapist uh, partly because of of, uh, what seemed to be uh, post-traumatic stress and uh, yet exploring with the therapist uh, all kinds of possibilities of um, trauma from his childhood uh, of the usual kind, uh, some sort of sexual abuse or physical abuse or whatever, some accident, and uh, they came up with nothing. At any rate, one of the things I told him that really amazing day when I was trying to calm him down is I said, I want you to go back and call your therapist and tell the therapist exactly what uh, you recalled and what the reaction was and so forth. And uh, then I didn't call him for a, a week or two because I didn't want to really upset him by his having to hear my voice again. So uh, ultimately what I found out was uh, he had canceled uh, future meetings with this therapist. And maybe, Doug, you could explain why you made that decision. I went back out there, and i got to be admit uh, up front right now, but I thought that all these experiences of my lifetime could be 
part of the reason uh, I was having, you know, these post-traumatic stress things. I read a lot of books trying to figure this out mm-hmm. for decades, uh, you know, that you know, it was just a psychological thing, uh, but you can't be. I mean, too many of these times are witnesses, broad daylight and blah, blah, blah. So finally, it took me, I went back to him and dealt with this. It took me about three more sessions before I said, look, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to think I'm nuts, but that's fine. And I told him what happened. I told him that circumstance and another broad day, uh, daylight one with three people uh, in Victoria a few years before that that ended up on the radio and in the newspapers where we lost time and the guy believed me and I says oh yeah sure that's normal you're going to say that and calm the patient down etc etc what can you do for me can you fix this I I was hoping for a mental you know uh, diagnosis and I can get a pill you know I can get fixed (laughs) but the guy believed me he says look you know I've dealt with a lot of post-traumatic stress uh, victims from the Vietnam era that's what I specialize in. I believe you. And well, that's I went another home. point that just came to me here. Were you ever in the military at all? No. Okay. No. So you have no background like that, whatever. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www dot f-a-t-e-m-a-g dot com what are you waiting for your fate awaits you're in the paracast with gene steinberg and david biedney you never know what's going to happen next We have Doug. He's a UFO experiencer. We have Bud Hopkins as the anchor and the co-host of this episode trying to bring things together. In any case, moving on here. So your psychiatrist is assuming sexual abuse or something coming as a child? No, no. He couldn't figure out what was causing this. And, you know, I'm not, I was never really honest with him about this stuff that you couldn't believe. Come on. I mean, this stuff Mm -hmm. is just too hard to believe. And I never mentioned it until after this hypnosis it took me like i said three or four sessions after this hypnosis to actually bleep it out hmm. and tell him about uh you know all these well that one and the one in victoria and i don't remember whether i mentioned any other experiences and of missing time in my life and he believed me and wouldn't give me anything for it didn't give me any hope other you know but now we can deal with it he says we can now deal with this and you know, i went home and a day later i called up his uh, receptionist and cancel all the appointments because as far as i was concerned he had to be nuts <laughs> I, I wasn't ready to accept this i still thought you know these groups uh, you know originally when i went into bud i thought it was it had to be a cult but i was desperate it took me years of even once in a while going in to see bud or christmas parties or the intruders foundation stuff i i just had a hard time believing all this i mean people would tell me stuff and you know it was just too hard to believe regardless of whether it's happened to you or not and i never did go see him again i mean it's been a long and i let it drop again as i have many times over the years 
you get busy in work and life and all the rest of it, and then it comes back again. I mean, I started having some health problems, and it was time to look into this this last year. I figured I better talk to my mom and get you know see what else has happened in the past to tell her what was happening as a child and you know why you know I was petrified as a child and why and what I saw and all the rest of it. And uh, incidentally, uh, did she recall your phone conversation from the motel? Oh yeah, no. I had been able to off and on talk to mom about this over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, my brother. That, you know, for the first few years after that, I'd bring it up and you could see it, the fear in his eyes. And he'd look at me and say, why bring that up? I mean, all it does is depress me and scare me. Well, can't mm-hmm. you just drop it? He's one of those optimists that psychs himself out, up on Sunday and that tomorrow's Monday I get to go to work, that type of guy. <laughs> so and I, I'd feel for him and I'd, I'd drop it. You know, uh, we, we had talked about it enough. He remembered him. He remembered the other circumstance. And it's this last year that, you know, I can slowly talk to him about that and the one in Victoria that he was uh, with me and find out that he's never seen anything but those two and obviously apologize to him and say, I guess it's bad luck being around me. (laughs) (laughs) Incidentally, uh, how much time do you think was lost uh, on that trip to uh, Palm Springs? Well, that's at least four hours, maybe five. Wow, long time. Mm-hmm. It's pitch black out night. You know, I mean, it's pitch. It's dark. We're and that's four people. Much. That's all. Four? Yeah, four of us, all conscious. Record. No, no right. This. Well, well, now it's, hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me let's, let's a timeline thing here. When just to get the timeline straight, you, you guys wake up at three o'clock in the morning to hit the road. You stop off to have breakfast. You're in the desert. So when you see the disc, is it still dark out? Oh no, it's it's nine o'clock in the morning. It's bright, oh, sun, okay. sunny. Uh, Eight thirty or nine, it's bright and sunny. It's uh, oh, okay. already hot in the desert. So the first memory of seeing the thing, it's already light out. Now, so you're you're, you're out of the car. You're seeing this thing, you and your brother are out of the car, your wives are in the car, you see this thing, then the next memory is you're back in the car, except now you're in the passenger seat, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Did, did, you, did you notice at that point what time it was? No, but we watched it for the next 15 minutes or so, zipping around the sky, got back in the car, right. drive, you know, like I said, we waited 10, 15 minutes for it to come back, jumped in the car, started driving, and it's starting to get dusk. Ah, I get it. It's not very long when it's black and we're rushing, speeding like crazy towards that light in the black, black desert. And we squeeze in a telephone booth. It's pitch black. You know what I mean? So where's the whole day at that point? What what happened to the day? I mean, that's very upsetting. That just scares the living hell out of you. Sounds like it's more than four hours, actually. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 uh, like Canadians. You go down into the warmth in the spring. For, so this is late April. So it gets dark still early, but but not at one two o'clock in the afternoon. No, no. It sounds like Bud said it's. It sounds like if it was around nine o'clock when you see this thing, and now you're back in the car and you're speeding and it's getting dark. This is more than than four or five hours. That's what it sounds like to me. Let's let's get the in the time machine and go further back because you say that these you you have these what appear to be post traumatic stress disorder issues that go back to when you were a child. So now let's go all the way back to when you were a child and talk about the anomalous stuff that surrounds your childhood. You and I have talked about this a little bit off air. What was this thing that your mother told you about when you were a kid? Well, 
I was mentioning to my mom how, you know, I was just petrified as a small child. My earliest memory is just being scared as hell. And I'm five years old, four, four and five years old. And I, I was always petrified of these great little midgets that would come at night. I never told anybody about this, but now I'm 55 years old telling my mom. And she says, God, you know, that's weird because you were so scared. Even I, I remember when you were an infant, two years old, I not only had to have the crib beside my bed, I had to hold your hand. I always wonder why you were so terrified. So she starts telling me stuff. You know, I says, Jesus, when you were two, you, you stopped walking for a while there. I mean, you were in pain. You'd cry because of this pain in your knee. And I don't remember that. I'm two years old. She says, yeah, this is like January 1957. So I took you to the doctor. And uh, the doctor says, well, you've got a new baby in the house, my younger brother. Uh, he's probably doing it for sympathy. And she says, oh, no, I caught him. I was potty trained at that time. I caught him crawling, whimpering in the middle of the night to the bathroom. He wouldn't be crawling into the bathroom in the middle of the night for uh, when everybody's sleeping unless he's really in pain. So she took me to the local hospital. This is Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. They took an x-ray and she says, geez, and they found in your knee, there's no you know, no, nothing broken or no holes or anything else, but you have this black, dark spot in your knee, inside your knee, that they couldn't explain. So here's the weird part, she says, and I'm still wondering about this years years later, now that I, you know, we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. They, they insisted on keeping you. So you were checked into the hospital, and for the next four or five weeks, I was calling on a regular basis, when can I get my son out? And they, they wouldn't let me visit. Nobody was allowed to visit you. I mean, you're two years old. That's got to be frightening. Well, now, that's and, extreme. I mean, so, so you're in the hospital for four to five weeks, and the hospital is not letting your parents visit you. Yes, and she says, I argued with the nuns and everything. This is just outside the Air Force base. You know, my dad was in the forces. And she says, I just thought it was, you know, they had all these excuses that didn't make sense, that it would upset you and all this sort of stuff. But I finally, after four or five weeks, went in and took you. And here you got a cast on. And I said, what'd you do? I mean, did you have an operation? Oh, no, no, we're, we got a cast just isolated so we can't move it. And we're observing him. And they wouldn't take the cast off. They're observing him. Oh, that's why they kept me. They're observing me. Now, in Canada, are there no patient rights? This is 1957. Sure, I I wouldn't have a. Who knows, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, and 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 you know, talking about this with my mom all these years later. I, I said, that doesn't make sense, Mom. She said, well, I, you know, they, they were pretty convincing that it would upset you, and that was their rules and all that. But she says, now they think about it, your your brother Derry, when we moved seven months later to uh, Calgary, Dad got transferred, he had his eye surgery, he had cross eyes. Cross Everybody was allowed to visit him. So I don't know, it doesn't make sense. But they refused to take this cast off. So you had this cast, this two-year-old, for five months until Dad got transferred to the Air Force Base outside of Calgary. And that's the first thing I did is when we got to Calgary, I took you into town and had the cast removed at the hospital. Hmm. This is extremely weird. Now, now, Doug, what did your yep. father do for the, the Air Force? He was just in the uh, uh, grounds, uh, construction, that sort of thing. Nothing. Okay. Okay. It wasn't a pilot or anything like that. So, all right. So, did you speak to him at any point after the what? Uh, how, no. All right. So, no. he died a few years ago. 
Okay, so this was your mother's recollection that they were trying to like just come see you because like you're two, they're, you're their two year old son, and now they haven't seen you for five weeks. Which you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's extreme. And she says, "Here's," and she's got a black and white photo of me sitting on my dad's knee with a cast on. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, well, it's uh, uh, this is uh, extremely bizarre. I'm just wondering because I didn't know anything about this at the time. Uh, you know that uh, I was working with Doug. Doug, is there any kind of scar or mark where where that was on the inside of your knee? Not that I know of. I I, I have a uh, what they call a scoop mark on 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 one knee below the knee. A small little scoop mark that. You know, I thought from a memory from when I'm about seven or eight mm-hmm. uh, that I never really considered to be anything because I don't have any recognition of, of seeing a UFO before or after. Mm-hmm. But with my four brothers running through the woods one time, I mean, uh, I remember, you know, the same sort of scared, you know, confused, standing there screaming that I had a bloodsucker on my leg. And then coming to, you know, looking down and there's no blood sucker, but I've got a scoop mark. Anything, Doug, in a way that your limbs function that might seem impaired at all? Have you had arthritic problems, problems with your knees, anything like that? No, other than, you know, 25 years ago, I screwed my knee in a skiing accident. But, you know, that was a beautiful jump off a mountain. And I There was some my... compensation here. It was a beautiful jump anyway. Yeah, I tore my uh, ACL in half, but... Now, maybe you could amplify this. When you brought him into hypnotic regression, mm-hmm. did you make any effort to unearth some of these childhood memories, especially the ones when he was very young? No. I started with, the uh, obviously, the case that had the, the most supporting evidence, the fact there were three other witnesses involved, and it was a daytime UFO sighting and with a, a missing time experience that was uh, equally experienced by three other people. So uh, that was naturally the place to start. And and that was the sole hypnotic regression I I did with Doug because well, I wasn't uh, going to do that again. <laughs> no, well neither was I. I have to say, Doug. One of the things is, of course, that uh, the, it's the apart from the bonus of getting new information. Uh, the most important thing, of course, is is the welfare of the person I'm working with, and uh, I was doing everything from then on uh, that I could do to uh, somehow calm Doug in the days and weeks later uh, by exchange of emails and phone conversations and uh, one time just to talk over how things were going uh, I arranged to meet him at the Metropolitan Museum because I thought a more neutral and and kind of exciting environment uh, would be better than having him face my studio and the couch and the place that uh, he had had such a, a traumatic uh, reenactment of this experience. So uh, I never actually looked into any of the rest of these experiences, and some of the things uh, that I'm hearing now are uh, completely new to me. Well, I avoided all this as much as I could. I mean, I, I'd come into some of your intruders' foundations or your Christmas parties because uh, another guy I knew that you knew from Stanford would bug me and bug me and bug me and I'd finally go in and people would be talking about all this stuff. I thought it was crazy. I mean, it was like going to a Star Trek convention. Uh, you know, they're talking about 
stuff that I knew nothing about and didn't want to. It scared me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Linda, you know, uh, who you wrote the book about, you know, I'd listened to her story about her abduction out of the, you know, the Brooklyn Bridge and stuff. I, I just had a hard time believing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember you actually fleeing from uh, uh, a party once. Well, yeah, I, I avoided everything for about a year, and this guy talked me into going into your, your Christmas party, and uh, I avoided the floor where you have your studio as much as mm-hmm. I could, and finally went in there and, you know, uh, you know, had flashbacks about that session, and I, yeah. I just got the hell out of your, out of your studio, your, your, uh, apartment and and we sent somebody after you to try to get you and calm you down yeah well we went to the bar and you know drank and he was a lot of help uh, with dealing with this it's hard to incorporate this stuff into into your life it's just too surreal Uh, Uh, of course regardless of you know how many things have happened to you i mean i never talked to you about these things i mean he would tell me you know uh well, call Bud, call Bud, call Bud, and but then he'd mention that he saw some lights in the middle of the night, and he's going to call you. And I would, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a stupid man. I realize that there's people all over the world bugging in. I don't like to impose on people, and realize that you have enough to deal with. You don't need another nut uh, calling you with these things. I tried to deal it on my own. I read books. I would read five or six books a week. I mean, I was reading physics and quantum mechanics, religious books, psycho, uh, every book I can get my hand on uh, to do with psychology trying to incorporate all these circumstances in my life to come up with a, a solution but you know when you're five years old and you you wake up and you see a, an alien uh, you know these weird arms and hands going in to get you and and every 10 years or 15 years in your life you have a, a close encounter like the one in the desert mm-hmm. uh, you know like I mentioned the one in Victoria three of us uh, comes right up to us and took the whole bloody sky, and then we miss time. I mean, it's too surreal. How is this possible? Well, now uh, let's let's get into the specifics because you've mentioned that episode uh, with three people. Uh, let's get into the specifics of the when, the what of that one. This if we have be time, about, yeah, we have a couple of minutes to wrap up this particular part of the show, but maybe we can get the initial overall look at it and then we'll go into details during the next hour doug i flew into victoria in 1974 for a long weekend to see the same brother and uh who right now doesn't like you very much oh i apologized about two months ago uh, that you know uh, just unlucky twice to be with me when this happens but we went to pick up his friend uh, who may if he's listening uh, Greg Campbell fine, uh, we don't know where you are anymore uh, give us a call uh, or my, me a call and I'd like to talk to you about this but uh, we watched a UFO office patio over the water uh, this string of lights that had to be a couple inches long comes quietly over the ocean as the sun was going down and got bigger and bigger and bigger and don't it took up the whole sky in front of us. Uh, it's just gray. You could see the UFO shape of it completely in this huge string of lights. It took almost your whole peripheral vision. And then it's, it's quietly swooped over so you could see the undercarriage of it. So you got a big circle of lights taking the whole sky and a little circle of lights underneath. And that's all I remember. That's all Gary remembers until well, I asked. 
Well, now hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Rewind. Where Where are you when this is going on? Victoria, British Columbia. No, no. But you're in a you're in a building. You're outside. You're. We drove in my brother's company car to pick up his friend, uh, right. he, who lived just off the water in Victoria. So he had an unobstructed view of the ocean. House or, or building? Apartment or house? Condo. Condo. Okay. So you're in the condo. You're on the patio. You're in We're front. on the patio, having a beer, just the first couple sips, bugging him to get to hurry up, and he'd be popping back and forth out to the patio with the patio doors open, stereo okay. blaring. Showing off, what about this tie and that sort of stuff? You know, and Derry would, you know, say, "Yeah, that's fine. Let's go. Let's go." You know, we had a dinner reservation before we would go off for the night to, you know, the discos. Mm -hmm. Well, this is uh, in more detail as we progress towards the second hour. We have Doug, a UFO experiencer with a lifetime of very frightening encounters, as we're learning this evening, and also our co-host for this episode, Bud Hopkins. More on the other side of the Paracast. To automatically assume that everything is the work of an extraterrestrial intelligence, I think, would be a mistake. To automatically assume that things that you can't understand are supernatural occurrences, I think that's a mistake. I think that because physics as a science is so imperfect that we may discover eventually that some of the more baffling things that we experience as phenomenon will later be described in very precise terms using tools which we don't have now which would, but which will be developed later to give more rational explanations for stuff that is too scary. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. We return with Doug, a UFO experiencer, and with Bud Hopkins, who is of the Intruders Foundation and author of books on UFO abductions. We're focusing on the encounters by Doug, members of his family and friends, and now one particular instance where you see a UFO, you're on the patio of this condo, right? Yes. Okay. Was this on a ground floor, uh, elevated, Doug? What are we talking about here? Uh, I think we're up on the first floor. Uh you know, sort of on a hill, so, you know, some would be lower, where they're multi-level, so, you know, there'd be, I don't know whether there's an apartment below them, but it might be half a half the foundation or something. All right. I never called out there to see. I mean... About what time, so it's like, it's it's dusk? Is it still light yeah, out, or what time? When we first, we're on the patio, and we're watching the sun go down. Okay. Gotcha. You know, it's beautiful, uh, uh, you know, sunset over the ocean, and it's just starting to get uh, dusk, uh, and it's just getting that gray color, you know, where the sun has gone down. There's just maybe a, a few little wisps of the orange, uh, you know, at the horizon, mm -hmm. and when I, I, we notice the string of lights, and, you know, as it's coming towards, I'm thinking, oh, geez, it must be a helicopter way out there. It's coming. Jesus it's coming fast. And then realizing as it gets bigger and bigger and this huge string of lights, uh, there's no sound. That's not a helicopter. Helicopters don't have a string of lights like that, you know, and then it's getting bigger. And then, damn it, it's right up in front of us. Huge. You could see the shape, perfect shape of the UFO because it's backlit from the gray of the sky. And this huge string of lights and it's huge. It's just right in front of us and silently flips over so the bottom's facing towards us. I mean, this is taking everything in front of us, you know, and that you're feeling that before it's flipped over, I was feeling that strange uh, vibration that you do when you have these experiences. 
best way I can describe it, it's sort of like standing at a concert you know, with the speakers that are, you know, 20 feet high. You're right in front of the speakers, and they got them on full blast, but there's no sound. It's sort of a every uh, cell in your body sort of vibrating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember swearing, Jesus Christ, and then that was it. And then stand, come to standing there, you know, uh, dazed, you know, listening, what's this screaming in the background? It's a stereo instead of music through the patio doors. It's just a radio announcer. Oh, now we're, get, we're getting hundreds of calls, hundreds of calls. Now we're getting these calls up the island, you know, far in Vancouver Island. It, it, it's zipping up. I don't know these cities, but Nanaimo or Parksville. It's zipping up the island. All these calls are coming in. This UFO is zipping down the, the whole Vancouver Island. And, and it, just standing there, dazed. You know, finally realized, realizing what he's saying and listening to this. And I look over and, and Greg Jamble and my brother are standing there and they're dazed. And you, know, you just not really just staring at each other, looking out over the ocean. And, and, you know, it takes minutes and minutes and minutes. And finally I look at my watch and, and I realize, you know, in the days that we missed our dinner reservation, I don't know how much time we lost because you're just out of it. We didn't say a word. We looked at each other. We all jumped into the, you know, left, jumped into my brother's company car and didn't even go to eat. We went straight to that disco in the bottom of the Empress Hotel, found a bench way in the back in the dark up against the wall. And the three of us sat on the bench with our backs up against the wall. I scared little guys, you know, adults, scared out of mind and just drank. You know, I'm not much of a drinker, never enjoy it, you know, never have. But I drank like a fish that night. I, I just, you know, with not talking, Never, you know, got up to ask any, uh, you know, women to dance. What the reason we went there in the first place to try to get lucky? We're three single guys, and uh, come to at my brother's apartment the next morning. I hear him out in the kitchen, you know, making coffee. I come running out. He's standing there in his robe, having his coffee, reading a paper, and I run up to him. I said, "Terry, we've got to talk to somebody about last night. We have to talk to somebody." And he slides the newspaper across it. His face turns red. His eyes pop out, and his finger points at me, and he's screaming at me, "You don't tell anybody. We'll lose our jobs." You know, we're, we're banking. Mm. This is the days of banking. That it's if you wore a light blue shirt, you were a rebel. You know, it's white shirts. Right, right. You know, this is uh, <laughs> way back, and we never talked about that again for fifteen years. All right, mm-hmm. back to the. But it was in the paper. Stuff. It was in the paper. It was. Oh yeah, he threw the paper across. It was right there in whatever you know. I think there's a couple of Victoria papers. I just the last few months trying to figure out how to search newspaper uh, articles get something from that and last week realized that I could go to the uh, all these papers are on available at the yeah microfiche at the main library in Victoria so I've got to have to go over there and take a few days off all right quick quick question for you quick question for you about when you first saw these lights let's drill down here for a minute you saw a string of lights what color were these lights white were they all on at the same uh, uh, brightness, or were they modulating brightness at all? No, it, it looked like the best way I can describe it. And this is going back, you know, so many mm-hmm. years. Is that uh, uh, you, you know that those strings of those plastic LED lights that people use uh, for Christmas lights? Uh, they're in sure. a plastic tube. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just like that, but a long string of that coming across uh, the ocean. All individual, they were very distinct. You could see each one of those lights. There's quite a few of them, and it just got closer and closer and closer. So when it flipped over on its side, 
I, I seem to, you know, remember that they weren't in sequence with, you know, the circle in the middle wasn't in sequence with this, the extremity, all those lights in that big circle. Mm. I, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of fuzzy, with, but I, I seem to remember they weren't moving in the same direction. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Doug, you used the word undercarriage when you could, when it flipped over. What, what do you mean by undercarriage? Oh, if it, you take a UFO looking at it straight on, and mm-hmm. it just flipped up, so its bottom was facing towards us. Was the bottom just perfectly flat? Or so, yeah. Just well, the tail on it? No, it was gray now. What you had was this huge circle, like a plate holding it uh, straight up. Mm-hmm. Uh, a circle, you can see the great lights on the outside, mm-hmm. huge, and then a circle of lights in the middle. Mm, okay. Uh, another circle in the middle. This is the bottom that's facing us. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Because it's up. I finally talked to you know, as I says, I'm finally talking to Derry about this, and he he let me know uh, like a month ago when I talked to him uh, before he changed the subject again. He says, "No, I saw that leave." You know, I, I've never talked to him about this, and he says, "No, yeah, I saw that leave. I was standing there, and it came back down on the side and slowly just drifted over to the the left and went around the other apartment building." And I go, "Jesus!" Thirty five years later, you know, I'm finally talking to my brother and finding out, you know. <laughs> Did he so, assume you knew this already, Doug? No, he was he's not comfortable talking about this stuff. And and the times that over the decades that uh, I would bring it up, he would say, yeah, 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 but why bring it up? I mean, it just scares me and makes me depressed, so I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So this last year, you know, uh, I had some major health problems. I, 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 this is unfinished business, you know. Uh, I wanted to find get this out. At least amongst my family and my mom's, you know, getting old and she's had congestive heart failure and she's got all these health issues. I wish I brought it up years ago and talked to my dad because the stuff I'm getting from my mom of high strangeness mm-hmm. uh, going back to, you know, her grandparents uh, are just it's just weird, you know, and somebody should talk about it and maybe record it for I just had a son three weeks ago so I can help him if this happens when he grows up I mean I had nobody to talk to that's the worst part now, the, uh, one more question about what your mother said uh, I take it the hospital that you were taken to was a military hospital Air Force. no the, the, the Air Force base there didn't have a military hospital no, it didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. so but let's face it uh, you know it had a large military base there at that time so most of the patients would have been military Moose Johnson mm-hmm. Saskatchewan back in 1957 uh, was just a small town I asked her about you know what was a military base like she said oh at that time it was a huge international training facility mm-hmm. for flight training I mean there was guys from the Middle East and all over the world that were there taking flight training. You know, these are sort of stuff you don't know as a kid. You grow up on Air Force mm-hmm. bases. You know, you, who cares? <laughs> it's not something that ever interested me. But I don't know whether that has any anything to do with this because they may somehow found out. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That That is just something strange. The experience that I had in my life, I mean, these are... Broad daylight, up close, I can grab upon that as now finally that this is reality. I mean, I can't 
argue with other people that saw the same damn thing with me anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I used to, as I, I mentioned uh, with in New York the one time, that uh, anybody that at these intruders foundations or people that would talk about, oh, they woke up or they were in bed, they had these dreams. I, I discounted those type of people right away. I mean, I sleep, you know, they're having dreams. I mean, I didn't believe any of these type of people, mm-hmm. you know, until that one guy at your, your meeting where you know, I, I talked remember the, the one meeting where I agreed to talk about this circumstance mm-hmm. and the guy next to me had finished talking so we were whispering as the other guy was talking and I, I looked at him and said Jesus you're the first guy I kind of I believe with all these dreams I mean you know, you're still petrified out, out of your mind and he said yeah I still sleep with a gun next to my bed and I says you know I never ble- paid any attention to dreams I mean and there's only one that I always I've had as a child a lot is and I start telling him about that dream of being a little kid and in this huge I don't know whether it's underground or what it was but the best way to describe it is like an astrodome but it's gray, but it's so big, it's like the sky, but it's uniform, you know, it's artificial, but it's mm-hmm. gigantic, and there's UFOs coming in from and leaving from all these directions, and I'm standing there, I'm probably five or six, you know, so excited that maybe one of them's going to come and take me home. He finished the dream for me. Remember I told you that? Oh, yeah. I said, scared the living hell out of me. Yeah. You had the same damn dream. Mm-hmm. So that's the first time that I actually considered, I guess maybe it does happen to people when they're you know, in bed. <laughs> yeah. I think so. it does. <laughs> Hi, this is Michelle from Namecheat. We don't have millions of dollars to get race car drivers or models to endorse us, but we will do everything we can to make those who buy domains or web hosting from us as happy as possible. We offer a free SSL as well as free WhoisGuard for a year to protect your identity from spammers or troublemakers. We won't bug you with obnoxious upsells when you check out or in your inbox. But most importantly, our customer service team really cares about you. It's what we pride ourselves in the most because it's your endorsement that means the most to us. If you like what you hear, get deals on both our domains and our web hosting at radio.namecheap.com radio.namecheap.com and be sure to play our contest by following us on Twitter. Thanks, Michelle. And by the way, listeners, please use the coupon code RADIODAY, that's RADIODAY, one word, for special discounts at Namecheap. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We have Doug and we have Bud Hopkins, who are talking about Doug's lifetime of encounters. Going back to the time you were five years old, you woke up and saw aliens? I woke up. I was so petrified in that house, I, uh, you know, of these little gray midgets that were, used to come at night. I used to wrap myself in my covers, actually, and I'll admit it uh, on the air because nobody knows who I am and never will. Uh, I used to wrap myself in the covers where only my lips were outside of the covers to breathe because I figured I'd, I'd wake up if they tried to unwrap me or whatever these demons or whatever they were that came. And I, I, I was laying in bed the one night and, you know, uh, the covers were off and I, I looked and there was a one of these little gray things. I didn't see his, his face too well. It was dark, but 
I sure saw these long, long, skinny arms and weird, long fingers coming in to grab me, you know, extended to come in and get me. It scared the living hell out of me. I remember that, you know, what, 50 years later. That's the only time I've, I can consciously have that type of dream. And if I guess now you put it together with all the other stuff, I, maybe it was something, you know. And the further study of your remembrances about these close encounters in terms of seeing the big object was et amongst them too did you see the creatures no they're bookend memories they're memories at the beginning seeing these huge crafts you know my witness you know with the people remembering it you know uh, seeing these huge crafts and then either coming to and seeing it leave like in the desert or coming to and not knowing what the hell happened. Okay, what about the experience where you did undergo hypnotic regression with Bud? Did you recall any creatures there? No. All I recover is that the sliding you know, off the road and realizing I was driving and this tremendous pain. That's what you know put me into this. this I was screaming because of the pain. I mean, this wireless taser, this electrical pain shooting through my body, it, you know, I couldn't even move. I mean, I'm just being electrocuted on Bud's couch. I mean, I, I could get up for a few minutes and then running around his studio, you know, crying over this. And then wham, I'd slide back into this this pain, reliving this electrical. So I don't know where that comes from. You know, the actual amount of time under hypnosis where he's recalling the experience, the skidding and so on, I would say was a minute two minutes maximum wouldn't you say Doug oh god I haven't got a clue because the amount of pain and I you know sliding back and forth into that yeah. was a long time no I mean I, I was remembering but you were full, you were you were fully awake though that's the point oh no yeah yeah I mean you were you you were instantly awake when this happened I mean, you just sat up and, and brought yourself out it's, it's rare that somebody brings uh, them, themselves out of a hypnotic regression if they're in a very deep relaxed state uh, and I have had that happen with a number of other people, but uh, it was always in a case when there was uh, something extremely traumatic that was happening all of a sudden with no warning. So uh, he didn't really have any time to see anything, and I was absolutely <laughs> averse to ask any questions about what he might have experienced because anything that would plunge him further back into the experience, I wanted to avoid at all, at all costs. What about and dreams? Doug, do you have any dreams with regard to any of these experiences? Well, I, I, I've had that repeat dream of being a child. I've had some dreams where you wake up, you're, you're, you're petrified. You sort of have like flashbacks and stuff, you know, faces, these little alien gray faces that, you know, uh, have always scared me. I could never read these books. I'd see them at the libraries. And I mean, the reaction, but that's how I knew I had post-traumatic stress. I started reading all these books on psychology, trying to figure out why I was like the way I was. And, you know, there was too many weird things that would put me into a terror state. You, 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 you go to a Christmas party and, you know, the, you're there and you're fine. You're trying to be social and everything else. And you glance over the one that, you know, I remember. And they had one of those, and this is back years ago, uh, with those floor lamps, you know, those long steel arc floor lamps and with one globe at the end with the light coming yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, I might as well have had a heart attack. I mean, I, I ran out of there shaking. 
shaking, shocking when I when I saw that in the the den. And I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. but all I saw was that globe with the light, light, light underneath, and you know, I realized that something's wrong here. Weird. Doug, I, I have to tell you, I've had a couple of other people who had similar reactions to some kind of light form in in a, in a room where they were absolutely terrified. You don't know why you have these things, so you yeah. you, seek, you seek help. And then you have to deal with the stuff that you all remember and uh, over a lifetime that yeah. you can't. Doug, really quick question. Yeah, go ahead. Does, does the light fixture you're describing, are we talking about where you have like the pole and then the the metal arm that's kind of like uh, articulated and then the ball at the end of that? Yeah, but n- n- this this particular lamp, instead of a pole, right. the uh, the arcing metal piece is arced that go- goes across. It's, uh, you know, across. So when I say pole, couch. I mean the main straight pole coming up, and then there's an arc piece coming off of that, and then the the globe is at the end of the arc piece. This was a, a just a, a, a an arc piece coming out of this huge base on the floor. Uh, it's a kind of modern design uh, thing that is essentially uh, the whole thing is an arc. There's no straight piece on it. Right, and it had a, a globe, uh, you know, in a weird sort of saucer shape. You know, that's but it wasn't uh, it wasn't the arc piece and the globe that got you freaked. It was just the globe. It was in this guy's, I think it was his home office. You no, know, I, I understand. I was trying office to... dark. It was the globe that got me. It's the globe that got it you. Was, okay. it, yeah, it was a light glow of the glass that was quite darkened, so not much light coming out of that, but more light coming out of the bottom of it. Okay. And okay. Uh, that's just threw me for a loop. I mean, what the hell is this? Doug, you know, there's so many of these uh, things like that, that someone has an irrational fear that they can't understand uh, for something that they see. And I've had, ironically, two different mothers who had very small children, toddlers or babies, practically, uh, who seemed to be having experiences and describing, the mother describing the same kind of terror that the child had that you've been describing. And these two women independently didn't know each other. Described to me the fact that they could not wear dark glasses, sunglasses, with wow. the baby, because the baby would take one look at them as they put on the sunglasses and start to scream and hide their heads. Wow! And uh, so there are so many things like this that uh, you know, for a tiny baby, let's say it's a three or four or six months old baby, to react that way means that there's been already some trauma connected with big black eyes. Yeah, no, I think this trauma, if it goes back to early childhood, is uh, you just grow up with these these symptoms. I mean, you just don't you don't know you're different. You, you know, know uh, one other thing, just on this, and I don't mean to take our time on it, but one man that I have uh, worked with is uh, uh, has a black belt in karate. He's a very very big, powerful built guy, and he was sleeping at a guest house. Uh, actually, the, the guest was a friend who had had an induction experience with him. But he was sleeping downstairs and uh, woke up and uh, saw these little gray figures through the uh, sliding glass door that led to the backyard. And here was this very powerfully built black belt karate man 
and what he did was pull the covers over his head. He immediately regressed to what he had been like and what he had done to defend himself when he was a tiny child. Yeah. Mm. There's no help out there for people either. That's the part that, you know, is, is terrible. I'm wondering here also about the spouses that were involved in the original encounter you mentioned, which took place in the desert. Your brother was with you, his wife, your ex-wife. What about the women? Did they have strange dreams? Do they have any remembrances of things that happened? Well, I, I'm, I'm positive my brother's wife does because she is scared out of her wits if you bring it up. She just won't talk about it. She, Like she said, she admitted, oh, it's all true to my mom in a quiet kitchen when they're making Thanksgiving dinner. But don't ever bring it up again. And I tried to, to talk to her, and she says, I don't want to talk about that. I, I just don't. I will not talk about that. And, and she'll leave. I mean, she's she's remembering something that scares the piss out of her. Yeah, well, she's not denying anything, I take it. Oh, no, no, no. She she admits it. She admitted to my mom. She admits it. You know, she's admitted over the years. Yeah, it's it's true, but I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you can see the fear in her, in her eyes. I mean, she avoids it. Like my mom says, it was just... She's never seen her like that. She just looked at her and says, yes, it's all true, and I, but don't ever bring that up again. You know, she's scared, uh, and I don't want to scare anymore. I don't need any more confirmation uh, of this myself. It's taken me a long, long, hard time to, uh, you know, accept all this myself. It's just too surreal. Now, the other question that arises here, and I don't want to get too personal about this, so you can tell me where the boundaries are. With regard to your ex-wife, did this encounter impact your marriage seriously? Yeah, I've wondered about that since it wasn't very long after that that you know she came to me and and, and says you know we needed to, wanted to separate still love me and blah 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 and just needed to get away and I begged and cried and tried to figure out what what is it what can you know we can go for help whatever she never had an explanation and I wonder whether she was just scared but that hurt so bad I just cut her out of my life I mean you know okay did she know that you had a lifetime of strange things happening to you no I okay. I never I never talked to other people about this stuff Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer for the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos and it's all for free or drop us a line mr ufo at webtv.net this is the paracast with your hosts gene steinberg and david bietney you never know what's going to happen next 
We have Doug. We have Bud Hopkins. We're discussing Doug's lifetime of UFO-related encounters, abduction experiences, whatever they are. Okay, what about children? Did you have children? Yeah, my second wife, I had a child, uh, as Bud was mentioning. I just didn't want to face anything on that. I don't know whether we ever talked about that, Bud, when I was out there. But, you know, I'd have talks to her, not about what was going on. I didn't want to scare her. She's a massively intelligent little girl at the time. She was, I divorced, and she was spending three and a half days every week with me and three and a half days with her mom. But she started mid at about five or six. That she was always scared at my place. I mean, terrified, and she didn't know why. And I'd talk about it and say, well, geez, your bedroom, our bedrooms are up on the second floor, and it's so safe, and just like your mom's house, and she's way out in the country, and we got way more lights here in the city, and blah, blah, blah. She could never explain it. And I was sensitive to that because, I mean, I definitely didn't want that to be happening to my daughter. Now, the other question, of course, is sometimes we hear stories of families having histories of this. What about your mom? What about your dad? Anything happened to them that was unusual? Well, they, mom tells me stories of stuff that goes back for generations, but high strange stuff that, you know, these are very religious people that left the, the Hutterite colonies in South Dakota in the turn of the century to get land in Saskatchewan. They're almost all of them were ministers. And, you know, they'd see ghosts. They'd have, you know, mom says strange things where, you know, the men are arguing over a piece of land and a teacup right in the kitchen would, you know, rise off off the kitchen table, rise slowly to the ceiling, slide across the ceiling and crash into the wall. And they, they, that was the last argument they ever had about that piece of land. <laughs> you know, this is a minister. Who, so then if I have an argument with anyone over any issue, if I can just raise a cup, I'm in good shape. You'd scare these folks. I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know whether you know what Hutterites are, but, you know, they go back 500 years. They're, I guess, very close to being, you know, sort of like the Amish mm -hmm. in their colonies. They uh, all dress the same, so there's no envy. You know, they're very self-sufficient for, what, 500 and some years. So they, all these high strangeness stuff that, that happened, uh, her grandmother, great-grandmother, and, you know, and I'm, I'm just starting to record these things for just, I guess, my children, not for anybody else's stuff, but mm -hmm. where, uh, her, where her mom and dad were being getting ready to get married, they were staying at their parents. This is, uh, when did she say this? Mom's got just a great memory. Uh, 1922, just before the wedding. And uh, her great-grandmother, they couldn't wake up in the morning in the farmhouse. I mean, this is 1922 in Saskatchewan. Uh, you know, this is way back. And they couldn't wake her up. And, ever, you know, shook her and everything else. She's just almost like dead. But she's still breathing. So they went, well, I'll just leave her alone. And she, I guess she must be tired. And she'll wake up. And you don't rush in to the city in those days to the, to the doctor anyway. And she woke up in the middle of the afternoon, came down into the kitchen and, and says, oh, I feel just great. I went, I went home back to South Dakota. I was so homesick. Uh, she was, uh, used to stay with her son-in-law, no, her son and daughter-in-law. Mm -hmm. She was so homesick. She had just moved up, married her grand, great-grandfather. And, uh, she says, it was great, Jerry. Mike cleaned the house, and I moved all the furniture around and blah, 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 and nobody thought anything about it. Three weeks later, they get a letter in the mail from her uh, son and daughter-in-law uh, saying that this strange thing happened, and it's the same night. Somebody broke into the house and moved all the furniture around. 
weird, you know. Yep. But as mom says, when my mom, and she say it in Hutterish, which is high German, that is true, I was there. That was true, I was there. I mean, they don't talk about this thing because it's either evil <laughs> or, yeah. you know, it's strange. It's you don't talk, you whisper about it, you know what I mean? So, yeah, and mom talks about seeing a, in, over the farmyard when they're milking cows. Perfectly blue sky in July, not a cloud in the sky. And then uh, hearing a crack sound like thunder, but there's no clouds in the skies. And they all run out and there's a little tiny cloud in the sky above the, f- the farmyard that looks like a hat, a gray hat. Mm. She says, it looked just like one of those hats, you know, with the big brims. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, everybody wondered what that big crash was. And there at the uh, far end of the farmyard, you know, where the, on the other side of the granaries, there was a big rock that stood there uh, for years. They tried to get rid of it, could never afford dynamite, couldn't break it. It was so hard. Shattered into little pieces. Hmm. You know, and I said, well, what are any other strange things? I mean, you, you were dairy farmers. Did you ever lose any cattle mm-hmm. or any of that stuff? Oh, no, no. But there was the field on the northwest corner that, that you know, because she, that was her job to herd the cattle around into different fields, you know, uh, the cows to graze. And she says, that field, the cows would never graze in. And I said, why? She says, well, there's this perfect 50-foot circle that was in the field that we call, that we called uh, and I don't know the Hutterish uh, for it, but the translation is teapot. It, it's like you took oh, a teapot, one of those big teapots, and shoved it into the dirt because from the sides it's perfectly round, had a forty-five degree angle down to the bottom, all the way around. Hmm. I said, that's the cattle wouldn't feed there. Oh, no, no, nobody went out there. I mean, even my four brothers, they never played out there. I don't know why. That's weird, she says. It certainly is. Like, oh, God, you know. (laughs) Man. Well, you know, one thing I'd like to do, Doug, in some of the remaining time, if it's okay with everybody, um, is uh, I'd like to be... To ask a few questions about how what you, what you make of all this, you know there are people who talk about the phenomenon as being uh, uh, some very good helpful thing that's here to help, and other people who see it as satanic and so forth. And of course, I have my own view of it. I'd be curious to get your feelings about this, and also uh, what kind of recommendations you might have for people who might be paying attention to us now who uh, might have been having these experiences. And you, I'm sure you have a list of things to avoid doing and things that might be helpful. Is, it, is that something we could do? Yeah, uh, I guess the, the biggest thing is that, you know, uh, you search into this a uh, little bit over the decades. You don't have anybody to talk to. The, the biggest thing is to try to find somebody to talk to. I mean, this last six or seven months, I've, you know, and it's kind of scary to call people when, you know, I've, I've found a couple that are, I believe, are true abductees that I can video conference with. And I, although it's very hard to do, and, you know, five, six times you see them online, you don't click. 
but do because a couple hours of talking and finding out they have the same experiences, you feel good somehow. It's it's like yep. a you know, pent up you know anger and fear uh, when you share it with somebody. It's uh, and you know and they feel the same way and they've had so many similar stuff that's just strange. You feel better, mm-hmm. but you you got to stay away from the internet. A lot of it because there's so many wackos out there. I mean, you know, crystal healing and you know. Uh, embrace Jesus and it'll all end and you'll be fine and all this sort of crap. You know, if you can find people, I guess, on the Paracast or somewhere uh, that you can talk to, it helps. Absolutely. you got to swallow the fear and just take that step. And as soon as you can, I mean, you know, and you can hang up and go back six months later, you know, uh, when you feel more comfortable. Don't, and I still refuse to read books on this subject. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't it drives me crazy when I hear the conspiracy stuff on even the podcast uh, because we don't know. We don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, tra- it's traumatized you. There's no doubt about it. It's uh, don't need to be so highly strung and anxious subconsciously your whole life. You know, this is not a good thing. I don't really believe, you know, these stuff I hear or see online that, you know, they're here to save us and all. I mean, no, they're, they're, this is traumatizing us. Are they doing it on purpose? I don't know. Maybe we're just the anthill. They don't care what we do, how we react. They just do their thing. Yeah, but, you know, some of it can cause problems. You know, I mentioned that one I ran in to see you, bud, you know, where they collected the sperm. I mean, I went through two years of medical problems because of that. So, that, you know, oh, whoa, whoa, they collected the sperm. When did that happen? I ran in to see you, bud. I mean, that was hard for me to run into. As we see, I yeah. caught you at the book signing with your wife. Mm-hmm. And I waited and waited and waited and waited till the crowds left. I drove into the city. Mm-hmm. And when you finally uh, were free and you took a few minutes to talk to me, and I, you, you were quite surprised that that's never happened to me before. But I woke, woke up, you know, in terrible pain mm-hmm. in Stanford, Connecticut, in the middle of the night, frozen, couldn't move. I moved my eyes to the left, and there was a, a, a hybrid. Mm-hmm kneeling there and uh, as I mentioned to you and and I'm screaming you know in my head you know, I don't it wasn't with my mouth I couldn't move straining my eyes to look at her you know who the hell are you yeah and she says you're she says she's Fran my ex-wife well Jesus I hated that woman you know <laughs> and I knew it wasn't Fran I mean ugliest thing you've ever seen I mean if you took somebody out of the concentration camp a woman out of the concentration camp at the end of the war and gave her uh, chemotherapy for about six months that's what you look like mm-hmm. we you know, won't get into ex-wives here but <laughs> I'm streaming there like that and the pain in between my legs I strain my eyes and look down and there was a gray's head mm-hmm. and he's got something in between my legs with something shoved up my you know what mm-hmm. and that's that electrical pulsing sensation I didn't know what the hell they were doing but oh my god it was painful all I could do was try to clench Mm -hmm. uh, my my cheeks together and I was just screaming in pain and then bam after about 30 seconds of that I came to and I have never slept walk I've never woke up outside my bed in my life Mm -hmm. I woke up and downstairs running into the wall screaming to this day I don't know how the neighbors uh, didn't call the police screaming out loud as loud as you can running into the wall trying to escape something the pain and the blood 
you know, wiping my rear end the blood for two days. Well, I was mm -hmm. in pain, as I told you, when I caught, mm -hmm. finally found you two days later. Right. And I never went to the doctor, and it got worse and worse and worse. It was two and a half years before I finally went to the doctor here when I moved back to Canada. Because mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I just couldn't stand it anymore. The, if you had to start, you know, that first feeling of urination. Well, if I didn't mm -hmm. get to the bathroom within five minutes, I couldn't stand the pain anymore. I'd pee my pants. Yeah. You know, and well, now, well, now wait a minute, Doug, Doug. So let me just, yeah. I want to just understand something here. This thing, there was something inserted in your anus or your urethra. Was in your anus, right? Your, my anus. Okay, not your urethra, because then you're describing, you know, this pain of like having to go to the bathroom, not urination. You know, the other thing. No, medically, well, the, 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 I, I know I, I I had an orgasm before I passed out, but I, this this infected me. I ended up finally seeing a doctor here. I couldn't stand the pain anymore, oh. and my family insisted, and uh, I got referred to a specialist, mm -hmm. and he did, you know, finally in, checked into the hospital uh, and put that long tube up my, mm -hmm. you know what. Uh, you know, you go to the bathroom before that, but I still mm -hmm. feel the pale afterwards. He, he would, the guy was just looked at me in astonishment and says, are you insane? How could you stand this pain for so long? Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel the pale. He said, my, my prostate, my bladder, and my kidney mm -hmm. was so badly infected that the first course of uh, antibiotics didn't work, and I ended up on 1,000 milligrams of Cipro for two months. Oh, wow. Jesus. I mean, this is... And people need to understand, Cipro... One of the most powerful antibiotics when when the whole anthrax scare thing happened back here in the states uh, after after nine eleven, what they were giving people who they thought were exposed to to it were, was Cipro, and I've actually also I've taken Cipro for diverticulitis, and Cipro is some powerful stuff. It just lay, it's one of the most powerful antibiotics that's out there. It lays you out. So for you to say you were on Cipro for for two and a half months, did you say two months? Two months. That's two months. The first very serious. Nothing. Nothing. Oh, I mean, uh, you know, it was eating my stomach apart after that length of time. I mean, oh God! But uh, hey, then it cured it up, and I, I, I mean, now, you know, after that, it was all cure. I mean, it was back to normal. I mean, you got to go pee. That's fine. You'll get to. Uh, well, well, now hold on, Doug. Doug. So the doctors. I mean, they, they. You know, you go in. This is like a couple of years after this episode. So you've got a couple of years of pain going on oh yeah i got worse and worse right from the beginning all right but, but no before you answer when the doctors examined you what did they tell you what did they think had happened oh i i, I don't I, I would never have told them anything i mean no not I, that you told them what did they what did they diagnose this as besides just oh, an infection i mean it's a terrible infection my, my you know like i say my uh, prostate bladder and kidney were all infected I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I could never uh, get out all the urine. So, like mm -hmm. I said, when he put that metal tube, it was sprouting all over the place. I'm screaming in pain. Unbelievable. Yeah. The nurses are holding me down, and it's spurting all over the operating room. Mm -hmm. And this doctor looked at me and says, Are you in? How long have you got? Are you nuts? I mean, how can yeah. you stood the pain? Well, I'm not going to a doctor and saying, you know, this happened to me. And right. you know, he'd right. look at me and say, well, you got to stop putting a cattle prod up your ass. Well, 
Doug, the, the, the point is, and it's a, it's a message for anybody listening to the program, is that that you should go to a doctor immediately when something like this happens. Anything happens is painful. You have to go to the doctor. Yeah, and sure. and you don't. You're you're not required to, to to say anything about a UFO experience. You just go in and say, uh, I don't know what happened to me, but oh. uh, I'm in terrible pain, and everybody should do that right away. Uh, people's have often refused to go to a doctor because they somehow think that they're going to have to go in and explain about a UFO right. encounter, and, right. and that's not necessary at all. But yeah, they need but to get help right away. Well, yeah, you don't have to I, tell I, the doctor that I know how this happened, so. do we? For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. By the way, we have Doug for another segment with Bud Hopkins, and we're exploring, my God, some frightening encounters. And by the way, while we were doing this, I was instant messaging my son in Spain, and I just gave him a couple of hints as to what was going on. I'm getting yikes or oh my God, et cetera, et cetera. David, you had something you were going to add. So, Doug, let's step out of this for a moment. We've got, let's just tally this up. We've got a strange, strange situation with you in a, in a hospital for five weeks as a kid. We've got episodes of, of you having, waking up at night, finding these things in the room. We've got these two encounters with multiple people. Uh, with craft missing time, and, and then this the, you're describing this 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 most recent thing you're describing, it happens to you as an adult. All right. Yeah, that's Stanford, uh, 2005. Was that when your book signing was, Bud? Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. was. It was. It was about six months uh, after I saw that daylight gigantic UFO, UFO in Old Greenwich. Yeah, right, the one that you were talking about in the yeah, daytime. Huge one just silently going over the Binnie Park. Yeah. Uh, now, we haven't, we haven't talked about that. On oh, that I've got so many of these well, but now, Well, but that's why I want to yeah, okay. get, like, I know that, you know, you might have talked to Bud about the stuff offline, but remember, we're here, like, talking that's about true. it on the air. So, Greenwich, Connecticut, you have another set. So let's let's put this in the timeline. When? Okay. That'd be 2005, probably about uh, May of 2005. I got up in the morning, got my suit on after breakfast. I was going into uh, a client's appointment to their home in Old Greenwich. Uh, at that time, I, I was still living in Old Greenwich. 
And uh, so I'm going over to their house. Uh, it's probably nine nine thirty in the morning. I work for myself, so you know, so no rush. And I'm coming around you know, where the library is. Uh, there's a little traffic circle, and I feel this body sensation, this light electrical, you know, where your cells start exciting, and this hum feeling. And I go, what the hell? And I look up out the, the window of the car, just entering the traffic circle. And all the cars come to a stop. I come to a stop and I watch in, in, in just, you know, what the hell in broad daylight over the Binney Park, which is, you know, some trees on the outskirts up a, a you know, hill off to the right. But right over the park was a, a UFO just silently, just slowly going across the park, heading towards uh, that would be east. And I watched it for you know thirty seconds as it slowly went down, and you could feel that hum. Mm-hmm. What what I thought at the, uh, at the time is that there's this buggers are scanning. It felt felt like a, a hum. The, the, the earth, the, you know, everything's kind of humming. You know, as they're going over the park. They're scanning for something or whatever, or that affects where it is short circuits or, or uh, central nervous system. That's why we, our minds, uh, memories are fragmented. And I'm sitting there watching it slowly, uh, going, I got to remember this. I got to remember this as I move my head, watching it go across. I got to remember this. I got to remember this. And it disappeared over that little hill. You come out, you, you look at it, look at all the cars. People started moving, and I, I, I floored it, and I went to this uh, these people's house. They were friends of mine, and I'd mentioned, you know, the one in the desert with these people at a dinner party years before. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't tell them much, and I said, oh, Jesus Christ, I just saw a UFO over the Pitty Park, and they all, you know, smiled and, you know, didn't say much because, you know, most people just don't believe it. And you don't talk to people about this because you like to keep that respect and facade about yourself that they don't know. <laughs> and uh, it was just a few months later that I guess they found me that, you know, I had that sperm collection thing uh, mm-hmm. that I ran in to see Bud. Uh, now, Colton. isn't that right near Route 95 where the, uh, where the library is? Yeah. Oh, which? The uh, Binney Park? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the big Greenwich Library. No, the old Greenwich Library. Oh, the old one now. Then I'm not, then I'm, because I, I thought if it was right in 95, that's a lot of stop traffic. No, that'd be, no, it's not on 95. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 95's not very far from there, though. Yeah, uh, right. To, to the east. This is right into Benny Park where it went over. It was headed that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just wondering if, if uh, you know, you're, the, what you're describing, Doug, you have to wonder if anybody potentially called this thing into Peter Davenport's New Fork or to anybody else. I mean, if you're seeing this in broad daylight and you're saying cars are stopping, right? I mean, stop. So presumably other people are obviously seeing this as well. And probably, and we would have a good approximation of time because that's probably no more than three or four months before I ran in to see in the city, bud. Mm-hmm. So, so just would, just once more, give us that, on that. So just just give us a, a month and a year, then just oh, once I more, so we have it. I'm, I'm not good for months, but it was probably you know four months before the sperm collection, yeah. and I saw Bud a day and a half after the sperm collection at your book signing with your ex-wife. Mm-hmm. It was uh, at that. Uh, uh, that was uh, was that an observatory? Two thousand five. Yeah. So two thousand five, probably spring of two thousand five, late late winter, early spring, maybe. Early spring, probably. I think. Early spring. 
Uh, I just the only reason I'm asking this again is to is to do a little bit of groundwork. Either uh, I'll try to do this, or maybe one of our listeners, when this episode airs, to go look at the New Fork database and see if there were any other reports, just to do some 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 triangulation of data. You know, did anybody else end up reporting this in any way? Because when you you know you have that many people see it, though this is really tough because well, hundreds, hundreds of people called in on the Victoria one. I mean, uh, right. I, I'm curious on that one. Uh, people have kept quiet that didn't call into the radio station. I I, I started another Yahoo email account called Victoria, which is a city UFO one word at yahoo.com that they could send in their reports to me. If they remember that one in Victoria, I will at some point go over and get that newspaper clipping. I guess. Okay, why don't you mention that again? Is this still an active address? I just opened it. Okay. Uh, Victoria, that's the name of the city, uh, UFO mm-hmm. at yahoo.com. Victoria okay. UFO at yahoo.com. I guess everybody here has ex-wives. It's a very interesting oh, yeah. show. <laughs> My first wife lives in Victoria and really? worked with me on a UFO-oriented magazine, and I will have to inquire of her if she knows anything about it. Mm-hmm. It was on the radio. It was in the paper. So uh, there's got to be something you know, that we can find. I can find, although mm-hmm. I, I know uh, David, you're trying to find information on that one in yeah, the that well, well that's that's yeah that's a tough one i mean ultimately for that one it really comes down to me having to have the wherewithal to go down to caracas to go do the groundwork go uh visit the newspaper offices grease some palms i mean yeah that's one where it's going to have to for me to get that i've been in touch with friends down there and basically all tell me the same thing you know, essentially if you want to do this you're going to have to take the time and go do the the legwork and and you know grease the palms and make it happen it's the only way really uh you know in, in that part of the world in many other parts of the world that's true too but especially that part of the world that's just the way things work yeah but I, like i said i could go do that but then it's like you david why do we need to we know what happened I mean, well we were there no denying well, it we saw it there's no denying it we we heard it on the radio we got witnesses i mean i don't care what other people think i mean i finally had to accept this and, and bud convinced me to go on this show and i guess a little bit of you i i think just so other people that are fighting with this issue can get a little help. You, you know, know I wanted to ask you something, Doug, and we only have maybe seven or eight minutes left. Mm-hmm. And that is, all right, obviously this hypnotic regression attempt ended up being a non-starter. But no. where do you progress from here? Do you want to try to explore those hidden memories or let no. them stay hidden? No way. Why would I want to try to learn what else they did to me? You know, I mean, why would I want to traumatize myself any more than I have been? I mean, that's just sadistic. Well, also, Doug, you realize that you know the most important fact of all, which is whatever it was, you survived it. Yeah. Here you are, and we're sitting around and talking, and you're a new father, and you've got all kinds of good things going, and that's that's the central thing right now. And I I would certainly advise you to follow your instinct, and uh, and avoid what what are you going to find out except more details? But you're going to re-experience trauma, and uh, there's no reason why you should do that to yourself now. No way, no way. There's there's nothing to learn. I mean, it's taken me 55 years to finally accept 
the undeniable yeah. and uh, st- start to deal with it. I mean, uh, uh, talking to you again, you know, uh, you know, I felt sorry when I heard you uh, on that radio show. And I also heard you on that podcast uh, on this show with uh, David Jacobs, who I'd met and never mm-hmm. talked to either. Uh, I, I heard the sadness in your voice that, uh, you know, the one thing you regret is just you, there's nothing you can do to help these people. I know. You know, uh, so this show, if all I could do, as you said, is help people to finally face up to it and realize they're not alone. They're they're okay. They're safe. But uh, there's things that you can do. Uh, talk to other people and start dealing with it. When I was looking over my notes of the uh, session that we did, I remember noting down that I said many more times than once uh, when you were in such uh, you know a terrible emotional. St- uh, state that the main thing to remember is that you're a survivor, that you survived all of this, you came through this, and that uh, it says something about your own personal inner strength that you came through it okay. That's the bottom line. That's the basic thing to to remember. Absolutely, and it may also be by having heard of other cases, Doug, that maybe yeah. you do know what happened to you more or less, even if the fine details remain hidden. But wanted to ask you before we, as they say, split for the evening, let you go and end the session. Can you give some quick advice to people out there who are in Doug's position? They've had really frightening encounters. What can they do next? How can they get a hold of you if they wish to share the information or maybe have you study it further? Well, I'm pretty heavily inundated as it is, but it's perhaps possible that uh, we can refer someone to a person in their area who could be helpful to them, but uh, I would suggest that they contact us through our website is uh, Intruders Foundation, uh, all one word, intrudersfoundation.org, and uh, you can find on that website information about contacting us through by email and um, uh, there is even an address and the phone number and so forth. So uh, we do the best we can, but uh, I have to remind everybody that this is a, an all-volunteer uh, organization, which means uh, we're all completely swept up with, with our lives and our normal things, but we try to do what we can. I'm right now working with, I, I've been in touch with uh, a man in England uh, who was coming over to this country in, in uh, February, and I'll be working with him and his family. Uh, and I'm constantly working with people here, sometimes by phone. But what we need is, of course, to have a much larger cadre of people who are able to uh, to do this kind of work. It's a really, really depressing thing because um, there's so much pain out there, and there's so few resources to handle uh, to help handle some of that. And uh, some people can go to uh, a therapist and get um, a lot of very able help, and other people will be turned away, and uh, uh, their own uh, self-doubt will be increased by the way they're treated by by a therapist who's supposed to be helping them. So the whole thing is extremely difficult. There's no doubt about it. There's no, unfortunately, discipline or off-branch of the study that allows people to explore this in a reasonable way, is there? Not really. It's uh, uh, my basic point is is that hypnosis is helpful, and especially in cases of of a great deal of of uh, ongoing trauma. And uh, I do think that I have to say, Doug, even though uh, you might not think so, 
uh, because of what you've been through. But you are, you represent to me a success story, even though it doesn't sound like it to hear you uh, going into uh, the things that you've been suffering from and still are suffering from. But still, there have been people who have really not been able to pull themselves out of it. And uh, you have, and that's very much to your credit and a sign of your strength. But uh, that's not true of everybody. No, oh, and uh, like I said before, there is no place to go. You're overwhelmed, but I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, there's just too much. And you can't go to websites because if you post something, uh, I don't care where they are, there's always debunkers or just angry individuals that are going to no, no. start, start talking about mental uh, conditions and all the rest. And when you're this vulnerable and, and hurt uh, and scared of admitting it yourself, uh, you run. There needs to be a place to, for people to find where they can at least talk to each other. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I don't know. This may be insane of me, and uh, but, you know, I found a few abductees, and I can always shut this down real quick, but I, I, I got another Skype name if people want to uh, talk okay, to. Well, rather mm -hmm. than have another name revealed on the air and maybe annoy you further with that, if anyone wants to get a hold of Doug, We'll take care of that for you to oh, contact okay. yeah. info, get, yeah. info at oh, theparacast.com, nice. info at theparacast.com. That's one of our email addresses just to get comments from listeners and people who visit our forums. Write to me and David. We'll see the email. If you want Doug to see it, we will send it directly to Doug. And if he feels that he can help you, he'll get back to you. Or if you want to, obviously, you can go to... Bud Hopkins site, intrudersfoundation.org. Bud Hopkins and Doug, thank you both for sharing everything with us this week on the Paracast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. Paracast.